Exodus 25 and verse number 17. The Bible says this, And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end, even, even the mer- of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark shalt thou put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will, will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. You may be seated. Our Father, God in heaven, as we bow in your holy name tonight, God, we're thankful. Lord, we're honored. We're privileged to be able to stand where we stand tonight. God, we're thankful just to be in church. We're thankful for the wonderful singing, God, that we've witnessed here tonight. We're thankful for your holy, sweet spirit that we felt. God, we're thankful for your precious word. And God, I'm asking for your help tonight. God, I'm asking, Lord, that you would teach us and guide us and lead us and direct us on how you want us to preach this message. And God, we pray, Lord, tonight, if there's one that has a burden, one that has a need, if there's one that's gone colder and indifferent, backslidden, God, we pray that you'd reclaim them. Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you tonight, God, we pray that you'd introduce yourself to them. And God, we pray, Lord, that you'd be lifted up on high. And God, that you receive all glory and all praise and all honor. We love you, thank you, and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, there's several things I want you to notice from this passage of Scripture, these several verses that we read here tonight. And first of all, I want you to uh, just go with me tonight, if you will, in into the holies of holies. I want you to, in your own minds, let's just go in into the very presence of God. How about that? I thought tonight as we go in there, you, you'll see that there's only one one type of furniture that's in the, the holies. Of, there's actually two pieces that were built. But they're set one on top of the other. And I want you to notice this. It's the only, the only two pieces of furniture that were permitted or allowed to be in the holies of holies. Now, you'll know that it's the Ark of the Covenant and it's the mercy seat. And the, the high priest would only enter in behind that veil on a certain day of every year. And he would only enter, enter into that place with blood. And there he would make the sacrifices and there he would make the, the preparation and make atonement for sin that it might prolong God's wrath for another year. And he would, and there was different, uh, even his, I guess his attire that he had to wear, there was certain things that he had to wear before he was allowed to enter in, in behind the holies of holies, enter in behind the veil. He had to wear an ephod. He had to wear a linen girdle. He had to wear a robe. And I believe that robe would have the pomegranates and the bells that would 
dingle around when he was be, uh, being moving around in behind there. He had to be washed in water. And he had to be barefooted. And he had a mitre about his head. And on that mitre it said, Holiness unto the Lord. Now there were certain guidelines and certain ways that he was able to, or was able to enter in to the holies of holies. And history says this. Now you'll not find this in your Bible. But history says that when before the high priest would enter in behind that veil that they would tie a rope around his waist. Because if he would enter in behind that holies of holies, if he would enter in behind that veil and he was not prepared, he was not ready to be in the very presence of God, he could not live. He could not stand. And it might be to where nobody else would be allowed to go in behind there to drag his his dead body out. They would tie a rope around him that they might be able to pull him out. But you know, I got to thinking about that. And it had nothing to do with the priest, but it had all to do with the lamb that that shed the blood if the blood wasn't right then there was going to be trouble if the priest went in behind that veil but you know i thought about this i thought about as that priest went in behind that veil i thought maybe they didn't tie that rope around him to drag him out if he dropped dead but you think about this tonight church i thought about maybe when he got in there and it was nothing but the presence of god it was nothing but the glory of god he put the world behind him and everything else behind him he put this to the side and put that to the side and there was nothing but god almighty himself hey he got to the place where he didn't want to come out and maybe he thought I'm going to stay in here and they're going to have to drag me out of this place hey you think about that tonight have you ever sat right down with God have you ever been right in the very presence of God you think about that tonight now I want to preach on this thought here just for the next few moments sitting down with God Sitting down with God. And I believe that's a special place that you and I can get to. I thought about, you know, you think about that ark. You think about the ark of the covenant. And it give, it give the dimensions, it give the sizes that they were supposed to build that thing. It was supposed to be two and a half cubits long. It was supposed to be a cubit and a half high, a cubit and a half wide. And that, that translates into our dimensions, 45 inches wide. 27 inches tall and 27 inches wide. And it was to be overlaid in gold, the Bible said. In fact, it was to be overlaid in in pure gold. And it would have like a, a crown on top of the mur- or on top of the, the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of that gold plate, on top of that gold lining, would set the mercy seat of God. And then on the mercy seat of God. There would be, and it, had, it was the exact same dimensions of the, of the Ark of the Covenant. And then on the mercy seat of God, there was what was called the cherubims. And it was a holy creature that God made that, they, that he, he told them to make. And they had two wings. They were about a cubit and a half tall, I believe, if I remember right. And they had two wings. And, and if, if this is the mercy seat here, they would one sit this way and the wings would outstretch towards the other. And the face would be towards the center of the mercy seat. And then there would be another one on this side. And the wings would outstretch to the other one 
facing towards the other one. And that's where the very presence of God would come down. You think about that tonight. That's where, that's where God Himself, that's where Yahweh, that's where the King of Kings, that's where God Himself, Almighty God, would come down and the priest would experience the very presence of God. Now you think about this. I thought, the, I thought about this. You know, when that priest would go back in there, he would go back in there and he would make atonement. He, and what that was, it was a, it was a way of, of pushing God's wrath off for another year. And you'll find that there was, a, there, there was never what was considered to be a place for the priest to sit down. His work was never done. In fact, another year would be another sacrifice. His work was never complete. His work was never finished. It was a, a, never a place for him to sit down. But you think about this. He would go in there on the day of atonement and he would make the sacrifices and sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat seven times and, and present the sacrifice and it would atone for the sins of, the, of mankind for another year. But another year would be another lamb. Another year would be another lamb. Another year would, would be a sacrifice. But you, you know what? And it never did do away with sin. And those Jews, you know, they still had a guilty conscience. They was never relieved of the sin that they, could, that they had committed. And they was never relieved of their conscience. But you think about this. In Hebrews chapter number 10 and verse number 12, the Bible says this. But this man concerning the Lord Jesus said, But this man, after he had offered once for one sacrifice for sins forever set down on the right hand of God you think about that so and now after that so from that time on that made a way for you and I to get right into the very presence of God and have a seat you think about that sitting down with God. When Jesus made the sacrifice, when Jesus suffered and bled and died on the cross of Calvary, it made a way that you and I can approach God Almighty for myself. It made a way that you can approach God Almighty for yourself and thank God I can move right up on the lap of God and sit right down with God. Hey, have you ever been to that place when you've sat right down with... Hey, and I'm not talking about just uh, uh, an emotional experience. I'm not talking about... crying a little bit and shedding a tear, but I'm talking about when you put things away and you get serious with God, you get right down in the presence of God. Hey, let's sit down with Him tonight. Hey, you think about this. There's three things I want you to notice and I'll be done out of the way. There's three areas. There's three areas of the tabernacle. And there is what is called the outer court. There is what is called the holy place and the holies of holies. And I understand this, that the, the outer court, it's the, it's the largest area. Everybody is welcomed in into the outer court. And, and now, then, then the, the, holy, the holy place, it's a little bit smaller. And yet even the holies of holies is yet smaller than that. Now you think about this. When we move in, when we move into the outer court, that's us being saved. That's, that's where we get saved is in the outer court. But then we move to the holy place. That's us, you know what that means? That's us getting sanctified. That's us getting separated from the world. Hey, let's preach right there a little bit. You think about that. Hey, everybody out here has got religion, so they say. Everybody out, oh, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. But the next thing they're doing, they're cussing a blue street. There's problems right there. 
Everybody wants to say, oh, I'm, I'm all right. I'm on my way to heaven. Oh, my. But then let them stub their toe. Let them, let them do something out of... And then you think about this. Then they move in behind the holies of holies. And that's where we become anointed with God. Hey, let's just sit right... My goodness, you think I got to thinking about that priest as he tied that rope around him. That I'm going to get in there and they're going to have to drag me out of this place. I don't want to leave the presence of God. Now, you think about this. I want to, I want to, take, I want to take this word here in just a moment. S-I-T. Those three letters. And I want to break them down and I want to look at something here in just a moment concerning all three of those letters. The letters S. IT. But I got to thinking about that, that veil. I got to thinking about that veil. That, uh, and I understand that that veil was 16 inches thick. And it was hand woven by the, by the, the Israelite women. And then they would hook the, the strength of 32 oxen and they would try their best. The strength of 32 oxen would try to pull that veil apart. And then they would hold it up to the light. And if there was any, any glimmer of light that would come through, you know what they had to do? They had to go right back to work on it. But then, if there wasn't any light, they would be able to hang it up. And there, we would enter into the back, in the back side of it, and that was called the Holies of Holies. Now you think about this. Let's go back in to the Holies of Holies. Let's enter, enter into that place, the Holies of Holies. And I, wanna, I want you to think about this with me. You know, I thought, I thought about those cherubims. And the first place you'll find a cherubim. Now, on top of that veil, I believe there was a cherubim. And, and it reminded those Jews, it reminded the Israelites that when they got to look at those, at those cherubims, it reminded them that they were sinners. It reminded them that they was within this world without hope. And now you think about this. The first place where you find a cherubim's at, you know where that's at? It's in the Garden of Eden. It's in the garden where uh, Adam and Eve fell and, and, and God throwed them out and He placed a cherubim there at the mouth of the garden that they could not enter back in. And every time they looked at the cherubim, it reminded them that, hey, they were lost. They were sinners. They were out of fellowship with God. But you know the day that Jesus died? You know the day that Jesus cried from the cross? I believe the very moment He cried, it is finished. I believe there was two big hands that reached down out of, out of heaven and grabbed one side of that, that veil and grabbed the other side and ripped it from top to bottom. And there was one cherubim that went that way. There was one cherubim that went that way. Thank God it made access for you. It made access for me to sit right down with God thank God I can get in the very presence of God and you can get in the very presence of God tonight we can get in behind the veil and into the holies of holies tonight not because of what you've done not because of what I've done but because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary now you think about this word S-I-T you think about that word and you think about the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says that there were three things that was in that Ark. And I want to look at those three things here in just a moment, God willing. And that Ark, it was covered, it was covered in, that, in that gold plating. Pure gold, the Bible says. And it was overlaid with that gold. And in on top of the, of the gold was what was called the mercy seat of God. And that's where God would come down. And that's where the, the priest would come in and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and, and make the sacrifices. But, but that, that gold in between the ark and the mercy seat was what was called a 
Propitiation. Anybody ever heard that word? It means a go-between. It means something between. Now you think about this. We're going somewhere with this. You, you bear with me. It, it, was, it was something that, that had to, to, to make a separation. It was something that had to make a distinction. It was something that brought one thing to the other. Now, my goodness. Oh, boy. I'm about to enjoy my own preaching here, I believe. <laughs> you bear with me here just for a moment. But I thought about, I thought about this. I thought on the, on the underneath side was the law of God. You remember in, in the ark, in the ark was the, the, the tablets, the, the commandments, the Ten Commandments. They were in the ark of the covenant. And then there was that gold, that gold lane. And then there was the mercy seat. On, on under, underneath side, there was the law of God. On the upper side, there was the very presence of God. You know, there was something special that had to go between. There was something special that had to connect the law of God to the presence of God. And thank God while I'm preaching here tonight, hey, He's seated on the right hand of God. His name is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Hey, He's got a crown on His head tonight. My goodness, I'm about to get excited. I can't even catch my breath. Bless His holy name tonight. His name is Jesus. He's the go-between tonight. He is the propitiation for my sin. He's what got me to sit down in the presence of God. Bless His holy name. My goodness. Did I catch my breath a minute? My goodness, that excites me to think. Thank you, Brother Jason. I need about four of them. Oh. But you think about this, Jesus, Jesus was the go-between. He, he became a propitiation for my sin. He became the go-to man. He was the mediator. You think about, He was the, the man. You think about that. He was the, the mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Bless His holy name forever tonight. My goodness, John said this. I believe John wrote this in 1 John. He said, And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Whosoever. whosoever bless His holy name. My goodness, there's only one propitiation between man and between God. And that's the Lord Jesus. Thank God I have direct access. You have direct access. You think about that. Hey, I, I can have fellowship with God because of what Christ did on Calvary. My goodness, He closed the gap, did He not? Oh my, I want you to think about those three things in the ark. Could I get a drink of water? I'm sorry. I want you to think about those three things that was inside of that ark. First of all, you'll find that Aaron's rod, the rod that budded, remember? Now, I believe this. I believe that if you're going to get in the presence of God and you're going to sit right down in the very presence of God, there's some things that have to happen. First of all, now you, you think about that three-letter word, S-I-T. And I want, you to say, I want you to know this. I believe before I can get in the very presence of God and before you can get in the very presence of God, do you realize that you have to be saved? Amen. S 
It's for salvation. We've got to come. Now listen, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about joining the church. I'm not, I'm not talking about signing a pledge card or a confirmation card. I'm not talking about going out to the, to the water hole somewhere and being baptized. I'm talking about passing from death unto life. I'm talking about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Hey, before I can ever get into the presence of God, I had to realize for myself that I was lost. I was undone. I needed Jesus in my life more than anything else. And because of that... I can have access. I can sit right down with God. Right in His very presence. Now you think about this. In the book of Numbers, you'll find that God come to Moses. And He said, I'm going to pick out the, I'm going to pick out the priests. Well, there was a problem with that because there were 12 tribes. And every tribe wanted to be the priest. And God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. He said, you tell every tribe. You, tell a, you, you get a man uh, from every tribe and you tell him to go out and get a rod. And they went out and got a rod and they brought the rods in. Now listen, you think about this. That rod is a type of sinner. That rod is a type of a lost person. Because when they went out and they cut that rod off, they separated that rod from life. Now you think about that. It's been cut off. It's been cut off from life. That rod, it's hard. It, it, it's broken. You think about it. It's, it's knotty. It, it's... They, they, they scrape the, the, the bark off of it. They scrape the outer part off of it. It's dried out. It's warped. It's spent. It's absolutely nothing tonight. And it's a type of sinner. It's a type of a lost person. And, and God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. You, you tell every one of them to go get a rod. They'll bring a rod in. And, and what, whichever. And God told Moses, when you wake up in the morning, they took all the rods. And I believe they were in Moses' place there. And he said, when you get up, the rod that's budding. The rod that's brought back to life. That's the, that's the tribe that I want to become, become the, the priest. And Now, when, it, when Moses woke up the next morning, he walked in there, and here were those rods. There were 12 of them laying there, but God picked out one. And it was the tribe, I believe every one of them brought one, from Judah right on down to Benjamin. And there laid one, and I believe it was, no doubt it had buds. I believe all over. It began to blossom, it began to bloom, and no doubt Moses knew just exactly who was going to be the priest. And it was, it was the Levites. Now you think about this. My my goodness, I thought that when they separated that rod, they cut that rod off, it, it had no life. It had no life in it. But then when God said, the one that I bring life to, that's the one that I can make priest. That's the one that I'll make priest. You know, let me just say this tonight. Prior to August the 8th of 1988, do you know that I was lost? Prior to August the 8th of 1988, do you know that I was dead in my trespasses and sin? You know what? But thank God when Jesus came my way, thank God He came right down to where I was at. When I could not get to Him, I was cut off. I was dead. I was dry. I was absolutely nothing. But Jesus came my way and give me life so that I can be seated down at the, at the foot of Jesus. Now you think about this. You think about that. Thank God, thank God that He brought life out of nothing. You know, I was thinking about this. I thought that when, it, when you really consider, when you really consider just who you are, and when you really consider just who I am, and I consider just who I am, do you know that I have absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing to offer 
the King of Kings. And the Lord, and I thought about that today, and I thought, Lord, I, I'm just going to bring you nothing. I'm going to bring you nothing, and I'm going to lay nothing at your feet. And I'm going to watch what he can do with nothing. What I'm trying to tell you is tonight, don't think you have to be somebody. Don't think you have to be this or be that or do something within yourself. You bring absolutely nothing to him. And you watch what he can do with it. My goodness, he's the God of all. Now I want you to think about this. I can enter into the presence of God because I have been saved. I have been born again. And if you've been born again, then you can enter into the presence of God. If you, at one time or another, we were cut off. We were alienated from God. But thank God when Jesus come by your way. And when Jesus come by my way, you think about the blossoms and the buds that begin to sprout off of that dead branch. And thank God we can have fellowship with, with God. Now the second thing I want you to notice, remember, S is for salvation. And the second thing that you'll find in the Ark of the Covenant was manna. It was the bread from heaven. It was the bread that God bring down, I believe, every morning and every night. And, and now the, the I in S-I-T, it stands for involvement. Not only should we get saved, but we ought to get involved. First and foremost, before we can get involved, we've got to have a relationship. We've got to come to the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and we must be born again. And then I believe this. I believe that there's got to be something for us to do. We've got to get involved in one way or another. Now you think about this. Here, uh, God, God would do His part and every night, every morning, every day, twice a day, I believe the Bible says that God would bring the bread from heaven, the manna from heaven. Now, there was different things that had to be done. There was different requirements. Now, the, the, the Israelites said, now, he, let me just say this. God could have rained that manna down and let it land right on their tables dripping with honey butter. But he didn't do that. It would fall down and they had to go out and they had to gather it up. They had to pick it up. And not only that, they had to cook it. They, had to, they, may, they might add a little bit of meal to it. They might add a little bit of flour to it. They might need it. They might have to put it in the oven. They might, whatever it was they had to do to make the preparations to make the bread. Now you think about this. There were certain things that they had to get involved with. They had themselves to do, something to do. They were saved. They were sanctified. They were, they were in the family but yet there was things that they had to do, requirements that they had to do in order for them to, to have the bread that they might be able to eat. Now you think about this. You think about a, a member. Every, everybody in here that is born again is a member of the body of Christ. Now if there's part of the body that's not doing what it's supposed to do, let me just say this, if, if my foot doesn't do what my foot is supposed to do, then I'm handicapped, I'm crippled, I'm hurt, I can't go along with, 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 with what, certain things and activities that I need to do if my foot is not doing what it's supposed to do. And it's no different than the body of Christ. When we're born again, we're brought into the body of Christ, and I believe there's things and there's something for every one of us to do. Now, if... 
there's somebody that's in the body that's not pulling their weight and not doing what they're supposed to do. The church is handicapped. The church is crippled. Do you realize, do you realize that 20% of the church, of any given body of church, does 80 to 90% of the work within the church? Now you think about that statistic. 20% does 80 to 90% of the work within the church. You know what I think we ought to do? I think we ought to get involved. First of all, I think we ought to make sure that we're in the right relationship. We're born again. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. And then we ought to get involved somewhere or another. I believe, let me say this. I believe there's something for every one of us to do. Let's get involved. I believe we ought to put our hands and our feet and our legs out there and get motivated and do things for the Lord. I remember hearing some time ago about a fellow. How many of you remember? Well, it's been three years ago this month since we've been to the nursing home at Cedar Ridge. January, I believe, of 2020, I believe, was the last, the last service we had over at, nurse, at the nursing home at Cedar Ridge because of COVID. But I remember hearing a story one time. A fellow was, a preacher, was preaching in a nursing home. I don't know where it was at. But he was preaching and he noticed that there was an old fellow that sat back kind of on that side. And he said he noticed that fellow, he had his Bible. And he had it right up, right up to his face like this. And he thought, well, my goodness, that guy can't see. He can't read. And he's, 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 he's having a hard time finding, you're finding where I'm at in the Bible. And he preached there a little while. And when he got done, he went back and curiosity got the best of him. And he went back and sat down beside that old fellow. And he said, sir, I can't help but notice that you had the Bible right up next to your face. Did you have a hard time finding where I was at in the Bible? He said, I'm, I'm the guy that just got through preaching. And he said, the guy stuck his hand out. And when he stuck his hand out, he knew right then that the guy was blind. Couldn't see, couldn't see a thing. And he said, that old fellow kind of looked in his way. And he said, young man, he said, I have been preaching the words of this Bible for 71 years. And he said, I've lost my health. He said, I've lost control of my body. I can't even control my body. He said, I've lost my eyesight. He said, I can't hardly even walk. I can't get up and I can't preach no longer. I can't sing. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't see. Uh, I, can't even, I can't even see you. But he said, I made God a promise long ago. He said, though I can't preach through the Word of God no more. He said, when people come in this, in this room here to preach to us, he said, I made God a promise that though I can't do all those things, he said, what I can do is kiss the pages of this Bible. You think about that tonight. They're set to, probably in his 90s. He'd been preaching for 70-some years. Hey, he didn't just wave the white flag and throw in the towel. He said, but I can do this. And he said, not only that, he said, for seven times have I kissed every page of this Bible all the way through when men come in here to preach. Hey, let me just say this tonight, church. There's something for you to do. Let's get involved. It's not time to lay down. It's not time to roll over. Hey, I believe there's something for every one of us to do. Let's make sure that we're saved tonight. Let's make sure that we're in the right relationship with God. And let's get involved in church. Now, you remember... You remember... S is for salvation. 
and the life that was brought to the, the dead rod that budded. And I is for involvement. We need to get have something to do with inside the church. And not just I'm not not just here. You know, a great part of what the church does is out in the community and out in the towns and out in, out in the homes. But last, I want you to notice this. I believe that the third thing you'll find in that Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. And you think about this now. The T in SIT stands for staying tender. Salvation, involvement, and staying tender. Now you think about that with me tonight. Do you know that the law was hard? I mean physically hard. When God handed down the law to Moses, they were on what? Tablets of stone, were they not? And I believe what that was indicating, what God, why, why, did, why didn't He just write it in the sky? Why didn't He write it on the parchment paper? Why didn't He, why didn't he write it out, spell it out on a, on a block of wood or something? But I believe when God handed it down on stone, either you were going to keep them or you were going to break them. Yeah. One or the other. And I know this, there's not been a man Save one that's kept the whole law. The Bible says this, if we offend in one area of the law, we've done broken it all. We've done made a mess of all of it if we offend in one area. But you think about this. Now here here is the Ten Commandments. And I thought, you know, uh, somebody asked the question, well, when Moses come down and, and seen what was going on and he threw the tablets down, they broke. And then God made another set, and somebody asked the question, well, what set was in the ark? The Bible's not clear, and I think that's a good question. What set of tablets were in the ark? And I believe this, uh, scholars have said, and uh, Jewish, I've heard Jewish people say that, that the broken ones, they, they believe that the broken ones were placed in the ark of the covenant. But because of this, because Paul said this, he just simply what I just said, if, if we offend in one area, then we've offended the whole law and we've broken the whole law. And we know this, that the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you think about this. Now, now the priest, between, between the law, let's, let's go back just for a moment. Between the law and between the glory of God was that propitiation, that pure gold. And, and the, the, the priest would come in, and he would be the go-to. He would be the, 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 the go-between, uh, the go-between between uh, God and between sinful man. And we know this, that the priest would come in, and he would, he would uh, take the hyssop, and he would dip it in the blood, and, and he would go in, and he would sprinkle seven times upon the mercy seat. Now, let me just say this. When God looked down, and God saw the blood, that was good enough. That satisfied God. So in other words, and it didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what your sin was. It made no difference how big of a sinner you was. It made no difference where you've been, what you've done. When God looked down and He accepted the blood, He saw nothing but the blood. And thank God, we can get right under the spout where the glory comes out and know that our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. Now you think about this. I thought that when... When God would look down 
and he would see that blood had see that the blood had been applied and then and only then he could take that cold black stony heart and he began to melt that heart down and begin to make it pliable and begin to begin to mold it and begin to begin to make it into something that he might be able to use you know i thought about this you know we need to stay tender. We need to stay sensitive to the Holy Ghost of God. And don't get callous. Don't get hard. Don't get out here somewhere and, 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 get, and get hard and calloused in the things of the world. But we need to stay tender tonight. And pliable and moldable. Like we can, just like you take the clay and stay up on the wheel. So that we can be worked for God. Now you think about this. I want to leave you with this. In the book of Ruth chapter number 2. You'll find that Ruth was in. Well before that in chapter number 1. You'll find that she was in Moab. And she came out of Moab. And, and when she got to Bethlehem Judah. It was at the time of the barley harvest. And the barley was for the poor people. And I believe that Boaz wanted the people to know that he loved poor people just as much as he loved anybody else. And no doubt Boaz had a great big field, I believe a, a barley field. And Ruth would come out of there and, and she would glean in the field. And you know that, that it took seven weeks. And, or it was seven weeks prior to the wheat harvest. The barley harvest would come in first, and, and seven weeks later the, the wheat harvest would come. And do you know that it was a 10 to 14 day journey out of Moab, God's wash pot, to Bethlehem, Judah, the place of bread? 10 to 14 days. Well, it took, it took barley 90 days to come to full term. So long before. Long before Ruth even con maybe even considered coming out of, of Moab, Boaz was doing a work in Bethlehem, Judah. <laughs> you think about that. He was tilling the ground. He was priming the ground. He was, he was uh, throwing the, the manure on the ground. He was fertilizing the ground. He was turning the, the, the fertilizer down in the ground. He was planting the seed. And then 90 days from that time, here would come the harvest. Well, I don't think it was a coincidence when Ruth showed up in Bethlehem, Judah, that it was right at harvest time. I believe she showed up right at the peak of it. And she got out in that field and began to, and began to glean. And I, I thought that no doubt maybe she'd get down a, a row there and begin to walk down that row and glean in that field. And there was a man standing at the end of a row by the name of Boaz. And he might inquire of his, uh, of his servants, well, who is that young lady? And they might say, don't pay no mind to her. She's a dirty girl from Moab. She's a nobody. She, she's a Moabitess. She's from God's wall. She's absolute nobody. And, and Boaz said, I don't know why, but I love her. <laughs> I believe he took a liking to her. And he said, in fact, I love her so much. He was telling his servants, he said, you make sure you get in a row with her. And you reach right down in the bottom of that big bag of yours and you throw out handfuls of purpose for her. But you think about this. Here was Moab, or here was, here, here was Ruth in the land of Moab. 
And, and I know this, that when, when barley becomes full term and it's ready to harvest, I understand that it's white as snow on the outside and there's, there's, an, there's an, a hard outer shell on that, on that barley. And you would have to crack it open and on the inside would be, uh, be a soft, moist, that, that's what you would take out of the barley would be the soft, moist part on the inside. And I believe that this little, this little Moabitess woman that come out of Moab, no doubt she was down there, and, and no doubt she was probably tired of living the way that she was living. She was tired of living the lifestyle that she was living. She was tired of living uh, the way that she was living down there in Moab and didn't want no, no more of Moab. And she kept thinking about that place that flowed with milk and honey. She kept thinking about that place that was, that was full of fresh bread. And no doubt uh, that Boaz was preparing long before she considered coming out of there. Boaz was preparing a place for her. And here she come out of that place. And, and what God did in her life there that day. And you know you'll find that I believe that what God was showing her through that barley that he, he will crack that bit. And, and that land of Moab, it was a place of bitterness. It, it was a place of, of anger. It was a place of just turmoil. And it was just a, a, an awful place. A place of hardness. And God was saying He'll crack that hardness and make you tender again. You think about that tonight, church. And I want to leave you with this and I'm done. Boaz marries Ruth. But I could imagine Ruth coming and I wondered why you know, why would Boaz marry such a one as Ruth? Somebody that come from that awful place. I could imagine maybe Ruth telling him, well, you don't want nothing to do with me. I'm, I'm from the land of Moab. I'm, I'm from God's wash pot. I'm a nobody. And in fact, she, she might have told him that, hey, our, our, our family has, has been alienated from the temple of God for ten generations. We're not even allowed to approach the temple of God. And not only that, my, our forefathers had sexual relationships with their daughters. And, and that's where we come from. We're, we're an absolute nobody. And I wondered, well, why would Boaz want to marry somebody such as Ruth? Well, you know, over in Matthew chapter 1, and I believe it's in verse number 5, you'll find a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab the harlot. Do you know who Rahab is? Rahab is the mother of Boaz. Now here, here is a harlot, a woman of the night, a woman of the street that's selling her body. And she gives birth to a man by the name of Boaz that looks down on, that looks down on a pitiful little girl by the name of Ruth that come out of the land of nowhere and he loved her. And brought her up out of that place and made something of her. Now you think about this. In other words, there ain't a doubt in my mind that Ruth could, or Boaz could look back to, to his mom and look back to his raising, look back to, to where he was brought from. And I believe that, that he could look at Ruth and say, Hey, I've been there. I know right where you're at. I know what you're going through. Could I tell you tonight, church, that there's a God in heaven that knows everything about you. 
Can I tell you tonight, church, that there's a God in heaven that knows exactly what you're going through here tonight. You may be up against the wall. You may be up against the, uh, the deepest, darkest valley that you've ever been in tonight. But there's a God in heaven that knows right where you're at. Would you stand with me tonight, please? Annabeth, are you able to come back? And if you would, you can sing that last song that you sang there just a moment ago. I'm not even sure what the name of it is. You can sing that one and the commission here in a moment. But church, you listen to me tonight. I, I thought that wouldn't it be wonderful if we can get to the place where we can sit right down with God. We can sit right down in the very presence of God. And, and I believe that every one of us has that opportunity here tonight. If you're willing... You're wanting to put the things of the world behind you and beside you and get them, get them away from you. I believe that we can move right into the holies of holies tonight. I believe we can crawl right up on the king of kings. I believe we can move right up next to him tonight. Now you think about this. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved. And you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say that word saved. Well, I want you to know this. If you ever intend to go to heaven, you'll have to be saved. You'll have to be born again. You'll have to pass from death unto life. And I like what John said there. He says, I know, that I've, I know that I've been born again because we passed from death unto life. Maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're just falling off of the wagon of involvement. Maybe it's time to pick it back up, church. Maybe it's time to step in and say, Hey, here am I. Use me, Lord. Send me. What, what do you have for me? I, I'm convinced of this tonight. I'm convinced that God's got something for every one of you. I believe that. Now, the thing is, the question is, are you willing? Are you willing to say, Lord, use me? What do you have for me? Could you imagine the revivals that we could have here at Union Valley. Could you imagine the movement of God that we can have here if we would all get to the place and get involved and it's all set right down in the presence of God. I thought about this. You know, 90% of the things that we preach from right here wouldn't have to be preached if every one of us would do our part and set right down in the presence of God. And maybe tonight... You're to the point where you've gotten hard. You've gotten calloused. You've lost your tears. You've lost your convictions for your family and your loved ones. Why don't you have God to help you tonight? Why don't you come and burden yourself here tonight?